0: while, so gonna going to share a little bit. It's kind of the allegory of the Christian story, the allegory of the Christian life. Lots of characters, right, And the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe you like Aslan. He's the central Christ figure, Aslan the lion. Uh, Maybe it's Lucy or Susan or Peter or Edmund or Prince Caspian or Eustace. Anybody like Eustace? Man, that guy. But how about Reepicheep? Anybody like Reapy Cheap, and you're going, I haven't seen it, well, you're gonna to have to go watch it now. I think in in Chronicles of Narnia, in this whole series, I think one of my favorite characters is the talking mouse, Reapy Cheap. Talking mouse, Reapy Cheap. C.S. Lewis describes him this way: Reapy Cheap is the self-appointed humble servant of Aslan and Prince Caspian. And he's the most valiant knight in all of Narnia. His chivalry is unsurpassed, or honor is unsurpassed. He is also courage, and skill with a sword. You see, Reepicheep is courageous, and he's persevering in the face of opposition because more than anything else, even more than those he cares about, the other fellow mice, get that right, even more than his own life, he loves Aslan, his king, and he wants to serve him with honor, and so he's willing to go into the hardest and darkest places to fight for his King Aslan. For C.S. Lewis, he is the picture. Remember, he wrote this in the 40s and 50s. Reepy is the picture for C.S. Lewis and for us of what biblical manhood ought to look like, honor and courage and chivalry. But in his second novel, C.S. Lewis and Prince Caspian, you see Reepy in a tough place. You see him wounded, mortally wounded in battle. And he comes before Aslan, and he comes before the different characters, and Lucy comes over to him. Remember what Lucy does? He's almost dead, gives him a drop from her diamond bottle, and he revives. And then he gets up, and he comes before the king, Aslan, but he realizes he doesn't have his tail, and he gets upset because he doesn't have his tail. And for a mouse, apparently the tail is a place of honor. And he's frustrated and he asks King Aslan if he can have his honor back out of the shame of not having his tail. And Aslan's kind of confused. He's like, maybe you care too much about your honor. But then he says this, may it please your high majesty. These are the rest of the mice around him. We are all waiting... They pull out their swords, and Aslan says to them, why are you pulling out your sword in my presence? <laughs> and the rest of the mice who follow the chief mouse, reaped say this about him. May it please your high majesty, we are all waiting to cut off our tails. If our chief must go without his, we will not bear the shame of wearing an honor which is denied to the most high mouse. Aslan responds by roaring, and he says this, You have great hearts, not for the sake of your own dignity, Reepicheep, but for the love that is between you and your people. You shall have your tail again. Why did they follow Reepicheep? Not because he just talked a big game, not just because they went through tough with him, but he was there serving his king through thick and thin. He persevered. They knew he would persevere, and they knew he would endure out of love for Aslan and love for them. This morning, we're going to talk about perseverance in the face of opposition. That's where we come to in the book of Nehemiah this morning. Are you battle-tested? Has your faith been tested to produce endurance, to produce godly character, as the book of James would say? Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. It's page 100. If you need a Bible, there's one next to you. Nehemiah chapter 4. And as you turn there, it just reminds you of a a couple of things as we look back a little bit if you haven't been with us. It's interesting when you look at the book of Nehemiah because early in the book you find Nehemiah's passion and his vision and his burden for God's people who are exiled and the, the walls need to be rebuilt. And that work had stopped. And you get two verses... Two in chapter 1, about Nehemiah's passion, about his vision to go back and rebuild the wall. Two verses. And then you get seven verses in the first chapter about his prayer to God, about that work that he wants to do, about his vision for going back, if God would allow him to do that. Because remember, he's serving under King Artaxerxes, the leader of the not-so-free world. He's a cupbearer. And then you see him, you see about Twelve verses, okay, him going before King Artaxerxes and laying out this plan from his passion and his prayer to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And then you see about a chapter of his organization and his planning. Last week we looked at the organization of that, the unity of that, and they begin to work. But, y'all, we get to chapter 4, and we don't see two verses. We don't see seven verses. We don't see 12 verses or a chapter. We see the next four chapters. The next four chapters about the opposition of the work that comes against them as they endure and they persevere. Isn't that a great picture of life? Maybe you think about when you came to faith in Jesus, and you were excited and motivated, and then life smacked you around a little bit. And life is often like that. There's a perseverance, there's an endurance to our faith that produces godly character. And much of life is kind of like the story of Narnia where there is a perseverance, an opposition in the Christian life. And that's what we're going to begin to see this morning in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to see the opposition come against the people of God who are called by God to do this work, God's work. There's always opposition to God's work always opposition. We should not be surprised. How about you? Has your faith been battle tested? Are there marks of perseverance in your life, in your faith? Have you gone through anything hard? Have you come out the other side where God has grown you? Maybe we talk a big game, we put on our Sunday best, we wear our crosses we memorize scripture, we know how we would defend our faith if we ever had to, but have you ever been in a place where you got pushback because of your faith? And how do we respond? That's the question of Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to see opposition from the outside, which we've seen a little bit already, but we're also going to see some opposition from the inside, which is often more challenging To continuing the work of God. Nehemiah chapter 4. Let me read verses 1 through 9. And then we'll walk our way through this chapter together. Look at the opposition on the outside. And look at what you see from these familiar characters from the previous week. Verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall. This is the guy they've seen already. Who's opposing, who's ridiculing. He was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, remember he's the governor of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Five questions. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Hear the mocking. Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish and burn ones at that? And then Tobiah, remember the other guy? The Ammonite was beside him. This is like group... Think this is like group ridicule. And he said, Yes. What are they building? If a fox goes up on it, on this wall, he will break it down. Look at it, he will break it down the stone wall. He's mocking him. What does Nehemiah do? Look at verse four. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, nor let their sins be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you, not just him, you, God, to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together in half its height. For the people had a mind, look at that, I love this phrase, a mind to work in the face of opposition. But when Sandballat, verse 7, and Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Amorites, and the Ashtadites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem and the work was going forward, meaning it was being successful, and that the breaches were being closed. They were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight physically against Jerusalem and and to cause confusion in it. Look at his response. And we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. How did Nehemiah... And God's people respond to ridicule, do you see it? And threats, physical threats, to help them persevere. How did he respond? Here's your first idea this morning. God's people respond to ridicule and threats with prayer and self-protection. Do you see it there? Ridicule, do you see the ridicule? Sandballot. remember he's the leader of the clan that occupies the area north of Jerusalem. He's the guy that back in Ezra, he and these guys have tried to stop the work and did stop the work of the wall. It's why Nehemiah is coming back. And you've seen little, just peppered in for the first few chapters, you've seen him. And you've seen him jeering and being mouthy with Nehemiah. Nehemiah in chapter 2 responds to him and just kind of gives him the heisman. We've seen him with this. The interesting thing about it is, is that he probably is too scared to go on a full-scale attack of the people of God. There's probably 50 to 100 of them working on the wall. And he's scared of it because the Persians have given Nehemiah permission, right? He has the letter. They have permission to build a wall back. And so he's trying a different way to discourage them from working. You know, it's interesting. If you really, if you don't have power to attack in a full-out manner. You know what oftentimes, even people in intelligence in our country and other countries do, when they go into a, another place to try to destabilize it, they just drop things kind of into the mix of people that might divide them. Whether it's ridicule or threats to de... What's the word I'm looking for? I need some help. Destabilize, there it is. and get my sleep last night. To de- it's like... You try being up here, all right? <laughs> to de- it's like the word was right there, then it was gone. To destabilize. And that's exactly what Sanballat and his guys are doing. They're trying to destabilize this work. They're trying to divide. And we'll see some of that here in a little bit. And he said, there's five mocking questions that are just rhetorical if you look at them in verses 2. If you want to be a bully, take notes. Don't do that. All right? And he said in the presence of his brothers, he's trying to get them on board too. What are these feeble Jews doing? He's, he's mocking their ability. Will they restore it for themselves? Meaning he's mocking them and thinks they're selfish. Will they sacrifice? Are they really going to do the work? Will they finish up in a day? And it's interesting because most of the answers that we know to these questions, they built it in 52 days, so maybe it wasn't yes. But almost all these questions are actually yes. I mean, he, he's trying... To mock them, but actually the answer is yes. Yes, they're going to build it. Yes, they're going to finish it. Yes, they're going to sacrifice. Yes, they're going to worship. Yes. Will they revive the stones? These stones were burnt. And then Tobiah, the silly statement, will a fox go up? He's mocking, Tobiah is mocking their work that they've already done. He's, they're jeering them. They're ridiculing them. Ever been ridiculed before for your faith or anything else? Doesn't feel so great. And yet, look at how Nehemiah responds. He doesn't. You see it? Does he respond to any, either one of these guys? He prays. He doesn't react to them. He responds to God. He's silent. But here's what he does he goes to God in prayer and he basically says this God, sick him. That's pretty much what he does. And you look at this prayer and you're like, man, he, he's kind of unforgiving. You know, Jesus says, Turn the other cheek, don't repay evil for evil. And here's the deal these are enemies of God. You ever go to the Psalms and you see the enemies of God? And, and you read these Psalms, and David's like, David really didn't like these people. He didn't like Saul, he didn't like the people coming after him. We gotta, there's a fine line here. But you see prayers all the way through the scripture where basically what Nehemiah's doing here is he's saying, They are wicked. And they are coming against your work. I don't want you to forgive them. I want you to deal with them. I want you to frustrate their plans. And there's nothing wrong with that. we got to be careful about those kinds of prayers. we got to pray like David did in other places. Reveal in me any way in which my heart is wrong. Any sinful way in me, including anger, etc., etc., cetera, et cetera. But you see these kinds of prayers all the way through the Scripture, and they're completely legitimate. When there is evil going on, you can pray, God, stop that evil. And here's the deal. Here's what Nehemiah, it's interesting about Nehemiah, if you look at this prayer, he's not saying they're coming after me. It says you're, he's coming after you, God. He has the ability, instead of seeing Tobiah, instead of seeing Sanballat as the primary enemy, he's like, no, the enemy's behind that. It's Satan, it's the flesh, it's anyone who wants enmity with God. If they don't know God, they're going to have conflict with God and man. And so he can see that. Here's the question for us. When, you, when you're in opposition, when somebody's opposing you, maybe at work and they're making fun of you, or maybe it's at school. You're like, oh, you're just going to pray to your God, your crutch? I mean, it, it's, this is, these are hard texts for us because we live in such ease. We don't have a lot of opposition. We might have it on social media where we just type at each other. But relative ease that we live in to compare to much of the world in opposition, that has opposition, real opposition to their faith. How do we respond? Do we react to people or do we respond to God? I can't imagine Jesus hanging on the cross when they spat at him, spitting at him back. Can you? Or say, hey, I know where you live, and when I come back, I'm going to get you. You're going to hell. Would that be odd to read that in Scripture? It would. Forgive them. They know not what they do. So he, Nehemiah doesn't react to Sanballat and Tobiah. He goes to God and says, God, you deal with this enemy. They're enemies of yours. Would you do that? So I love this response. But also there's something else. He doesn't just pray. What does he do? He keeps working. The whole point of the mocking is to get them to stop working. He continues to work. Do you see it there? Verse 6, so we built the wall. It didn't stop us. The wall was joined together. We got halfway done. They're halfway done here. That's quick. It's a lot of work because the people had a mind to work. Their minds didn't get preoccupied with the opposition and the ridicule. Okay? That's important for us. How much time do you spend, maybe on social media, responding to all the ridicule? Oh, I'm going to go get them. You could be doing the work of God. Pastors are the worst. We're like the worst. Like, i got to respond to that. How about we pray, and how about we continue the work of God? So there's ridicule, and then Nehemiah's incredible response, and then there's threat. So that didn't work. So verse 7, they observe success. Do you see it? Hey, the wall's being rebuilt. The work is going forward. The breaches are being filled. So all those mocking, ridiculing, rhetorical questions, man, these are being answered in the yes. And it made them angry. And now they plot not only to talk, now what are they doing? Now we're plotting to fight. We're plotting to fight. They didn't tell The Jews, they were going to fight them here. Important note, we'll come to it. And cause confusion. And what is the response again? You see it in verse 9? The response is more prayer. I prayed to God of heaven and I set a guard of protection. And so you see both prayer and protection. You see faith and you see action. Both responses. So this is how we respond. We respond to ridicule and threats if they are there with prayer and protection, and we continue the work. First house we ever owned, uh, 2003, uh, Spring Branch, so like I-10 and the Beltway on the west side, Spring Branch. It was about two blocks from this school called Spring Woods, and Spring Woods was affectionately known in the community as Ghetto Woods, all right? That's where we moved. Starving pastor, junior high youth pastor. We And we loved our house. We loved our neighbors. We had 15 homes on Ottawa Street right there in Spring Branch, and it backed up to this park right behind us. Next to the park, though, there was like uh, the forest. There's just, was just this forest back there. And then there were some apartments over here, and the school was there. And there was an alley that went all the way down the end of our street. There were dead-end streets. An alley went out, and the people on the end of the street would get vandalized quite a bit on the end of the street because the people could just uh, steal, come into their hub, and then bolt to the forest and nobody ever found them. And then um, we had, I think we had had William and maybe Claire and like our next-door neighbor, uh, they took their Honda um, right in the middle of the day. And so it wasn't the greatest neighborhood. And here's the deal. We prayed that God would keep us safe, it wasn't terrible. We prayed that God would keep us safe, but you know what we did at night? We locked our doors. Imagine that. At the time, it didn't have an um, alarm system. I just had a cowboy alarm, and if you know what that is, you know what that is. <laughs> but, but think about it. You pray that God protects you in your home, right? But you lock the doors at night, don't you? you got a new baby. you got to lock the door now, Robbie. You lock the doors. And I would guess that many of you, if not most of you, have an alarm system. You're taking action. You're trusting God and you're taking action. This is exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He's trusting God and he's taking action, both. That's what you see. And he's working. So here's the question, though. What is the net effect of this ridicule? Of these threats on the people of God. You see how Nehemiah responds right here, but there's a breadth of the, to the people of God. So, how are the people of God going to respond? How do you respond to ridicule and threat? It's got to do it, do, it does something to us. And it did something to the people of God. Look at it in verse 10 through 14. I, wanna, I want you to see as I read this both the discouragement and the fear that it produced. But notice who it produces fear and discouragement with. Verse 10. Let's look at it. In Judah, it's broader, it was said, this is, looks like, you see the parentheses there? It's a song they were singing. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. These are the people of God. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come amongst them and kill them and stop the work. This is a song that the people of God are singing It looks like, too, the people that are working. And then the people that are working are now getting discouraged. And at that time, the Jews who live near came from all directions and said to us, so people further out, Jews, come to them who are trying to rebuild the wall so there's protection for Jerusalem so they can worship God and live in safety. And the Jews, their own people, say this, Ten times, you must return to us. Why? Because we're fearful for you. Because they say they're going to kill you. Look at how Nehemiah responds, though. I love this. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open spaces, I stationed the people with their clans. That's their tribe. That's their families. That's their children. With their swords and spears and their bows. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles and the officials, And to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Isn't that great? And fight with your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Here's how we respond. See, God's people overcome things like discouragement and fear, even from within, with faith and fortitude. You see that? Faith and fortitude. The discouragement is coming from the people of God, looks like, not doing the work. It'd be like if somebody, let's say, you, this is a little different, not apples to apples, but let's say, like, you had a, uh, you had a, a, a spill in your house, your, your uh, water line broke, and you've got to redo your kitchen. Some of you have done that. I'm sorry to bring that up. And, like, you got a, you got people in there working, and you're trying to live there. At the same time, you're trying to eat and do all the same things and your friends come and they help you, but you got that friend that comes and they're like, I don't know how you do this. This is terrible. Should you just move out for a little while? It's like, you're not helping. I'm trying to endure for just a little longer. And that's what's going on here. We're building a wall. We're halfway there. The glass is half full. And you're saying the glass is half empty. And the people become discouraged because the people not doing the work are discouraging them, and then other people come, and they're like, we're so scared for you. We're so scared for your children. Y'all need to leave. The safety level is too high. You have to leave 10 times. Come with us. Look at Nehemiah's response. So, he packed up and left. So, we took, it is too high. We care for our children too much. We're going back to Persia. No. How does that land on you? Mom and dad, no. He said, I want you to get the families, the, these clans, Benjamites, Judites, and clans, that's how Israel fought. And they fought that way because they look into their wife and their kid and their uncle and their brother and go, we got to fight for our family. Motivates, doesn't it? He doubles down. See his fortitude here? He doubles down and he says, no, the lowest part of the wall, The lowest part of the wall is the most vulnerable part of the wall. It's where the enemy's gonna come in. We're stationing people there. We're gonna station your family there. That doesn't work 21st century sensibilities very well. We're gonna station your family here, your family here. We got the Beakleys over here. Who we got? Guevara's over here. We got our family here, and we got like uh, the spatula with the kid. You know, you got the skillet. The mom has a skillet. We got a shovel. We got a spear. And we're going to fight these guys. We'll fight if they want to fight. It's a self-defense. They're not coming after them, but they're self-defense of the wall and the work of God. That's what's going on. They're willing to fight. It's interesting what happens sometimes. Even within, right? Even within the family of God. Sometimes within the family of God and people mean well. Mean well about the church and our mission and our work, but it's oftentimes the people kind of on the outside that are saying, that are creating discouragement, that are creating criticism, that are saying, you ought to be more fearful, you ought to not meet, you ought to worry about this, you ought to worry about that. And the people doing their work are going, you're not helping. Being in ministry, it's interesting to watch. And I want to be as a leader and our elders and the people in this room who are leaders in our church. We, we don't have been sensitive to people's input and people's criticism. But if it's just criticism and you're not part of the work, it's a little harder to listen. And that's, what happened, that's what's happening here is that the people on the outside are bringing discouragement to the inside and Nehemiah has to stop it. He has to shut down that weed, basically, that's growing. And he's like, no, we're getting on the line. And we're, if we have to, we will defend. And look at the motivation here that you see it there, don't be afraid of them. The only one you ought to be afraid of is God. A healthy fear of God. We don't have to fear horizontally. We fear vertically in a healthy, awe-inspiring way. You don't need to fear them. God has given us this work. Remember the Lord. And I think what he's saying is not just remember the Lord. Remember who he is? Remember he's given us this work. He's called us here to do this work. He's going to come through for us. Because he's a good God, and we are doing his good work for his glory. He's with us. Don't abandon ship. And that's what I think you see here. I love this response of fortitude. But also faith. Don't be afraid. He's an awesome and great God. That's a strong response from a godly leader that knows his mission, that loves God. See also, Reepichi, Right? Proverbs 24:10 says this it says, "If you are faint in the day of distress, your strength is limited. If you're faint in the day of distress, your strength is limited." In other words, it said, "Hey, man, you've memorized hundred Bible verses. you have perfect attendance at church. you have 50 ways to defend your faith from any cultural thing. You went to apologia this summer. you know? All these things you serve every week, but there are times where our faith, there's pushback for our faith. Are we going to falter, or are we going to move forward? And what this proverb is saying is like, is as if none of that matters in that day. My, my golf coach, my dad, used to say, are you a range player, or can you bring it to the course? I know there's a bunch of them, so whatever sport, you just plug it in. Can you bring it to the, to the course? And, I, and I'll be honest, there's plenty of times, uh, I'm not trying to call you up to something. Here's the, here's the reality. The reality is that there's plenty of times that we do falter. And yet God is still there. Remember, uh, remember, I'd just come to Christ in college, and um, everything was a competition in my life. Everything kind of still is. I'm just kidding. Sanctification is a long process, Robbie. <laughs> All right? Like... Just, just highly competitive, always have been. You should have seen me before, all right? And so, you know, God is, especially young in your faith, is working out some of that flesh and some of those things in a healthier way. And we had this deal at our church, and it was a great program. I was being discipled by a guy who had invested time in me. He's like, hey, I think you need to go through this program at our church called EE. E. Anybody heard of Evangelism Explosion? Evangelical Explosion is where you went and you basically did lecture in lab. Like you went in and you had a classroom setting and you learned a way to share your faith, right? And everybody would sign up for that part, but nobody wanted to sign up for the lab part. It's like, hey, we learned how to share our faith. We learned how to talk with people. But now we're actually going to go do it. It was part of the class. It wasn't just come learn and hear about a way to share your faith. Now you're going to go out and walk around the campus of people that you were at campus with in college or wherever, and you're just going to ask them questions and then get into a gospel conversation. Everybody takes a big gulp, and everybody runs for that one. But why I did an EE, and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to be the best. I memorized the outline the fastest. I'm, I don't think anybody else noted that, but I did. <laughs> uh, I, you know, you you have a leader, and then you go out with two people. And I remember going out and, the, and our leader, who's a friend of mine, my roommate actually, he's like, who wants to go first? Oh yeah, Seth wants to go first, sure. Right. So I go first, and talking to this guy at his apartment, we're having a good conversation, and then so I lead in, you know, I've got the conversation in my head where it's going to go, and it doesn't go there. He asks a bunch of different questions, and it came to the place where I'm, I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel, and I just completely dropped the ball, and I had no idea what to do, and I just looked at him, um, humble, pie, prideful guy, going to go, hey, this kid, this person's going to come to faith. And he took over and had a good conversation. I just left with my head down, was faint in the day of distress. And so I had really two options at that point. I could just punt and go, I'm never going to share my faith with anybody again because I have a terrible, terrible experience of that. And they laughed at me and they ridiculed me, which was true. Like I didn't know what I was doing, apparently. Um, or I can get up and know that God's got me. Know that God is still in control. And here's the deal. That's the way the Christian life is sometimes. It's not like, hey, if you're fainting the day of stress and you fall, you're never gonna get up. No, like God is gracious and he's merciful and we have to get up over and over and over again. Which kind of leads into the last thought. If you look at verses 15 through 23, it's not our strength. If you look at Nehemiah's source, Of strength it's not his own the reason that he wasn't fearful or discouraged he didn't falter look at verse 15 through 23 and and notice God's activity in these verses when our enemies heard that it was known to us so they didn't know before the plot and that God had frustrated their plan love that we all returned to the wall so they begin to work Each to his work from that day on. Half of the servants worked on construction, half of them on spears, shields, bows, coats, mail. And the leaders stood before the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens and loading in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Imagine that. And each of the builders had his own sword strapped to his side when he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And this is the little planning. Because they're back to work. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. So they're spread out. So if they come against us, it, it might be challenging. So we're separated on the wall, far from each other. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, the shofar, rally to us there. That's where Nehemiah is. Our God will fight for us. Love that. So we labored at the work. Half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night with Jerusalem that we may be, be a guard for us by night and we, we may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants, look at the leadership here, nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us took off our clothes, meaning he didn't take a shower, he didn't do anything. He, just was, he was vigilant. He was on the whole time as the leader. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So here's how we persevere. Here's what Nehemiah thinks about how we persevere. God's people persevere because God has our back. It was God who frustrated the plot to come against the people building the wall, and it is God who is fighting in the foreground for his people. We take action, but it's not just our action. We know and believe that God is working behind the scenes, that he is a part of it. He is with us. It's also interesting if you look at verse 15. I'm just going to go a couple things here. If you look at verse 15, you see that God frustrates their plans, and they just get back to work. Imagine how fearful and discouraged they were. You know what you do with your mind when you're fearful and discouraged? You build that thing. You build whatever it is up bigger than it probably is. And not that this was a small thing, There was certainly a threat, but they had built up in their minds so much fear and discouragement. This is God frustrated their plans. You ever been there? Where you just think, okay, well, this this has the potential to destroy X, Y, or Z, our church, our faith, whatever. And God's at work, and we overplay our fears. And sometimes our fears and our discouragements, maybe it's the past, maybe it's church experience. I'm never going to be a member of church again, that last one. Well, my parents did it wrong, so that means I'm not going to be involved like this. It completely, fear and discouragement can completely debilitate your faith. Satan wins. But what we got to remember when we're in that place is we often build this thing way bigger. We build the problem way bigger than it actually is. God is frustrating the plans. God is with us. Do you see that? And I'll say as a church, it's been sweet for me to be here four years and knowing coming in, maybe you don't know, but this church went through a very difficult season about five, six years ago. The pastor left and there was trouble and there's confusion and maybe you felt like this thing was rubble. And maybe you looked in fear and discouragement God, what are you are God, what are you doing? And yet, you persevered. You continue to come, and you continue to put brick on brick. And I hope you can look at it now. It's not a finished work. It's never a finished work. And go, God is in this. God was fighting for us. We're moving forward because God did this. Can you see that? A beautiful thing when you can see that. It builds faith that God frustrates plans. God fights for us, and you see it there. So they've arranged themselves in this text. So here's the deal. It's interesting. Nehemiah doesn't abandon the plan. He doesn't abandon the plan. But do you see how he adapts the plan because of the threat? He adapts it. You've got half the people working, and you've got half the people guarding. And even the people that are working They got a spear on the side and a trowel over here. They're working and they're ready. It's interesting all the way through this text and really all the way through Nehemiah and really all the way through the Bible. Also in salvation, you know what you see? You see God sovereignly and providentially working and you see the people's faith in action, the responsibility to act. So you see faith and action. You see, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, you can't miss it in this text. It's both. And we get that one way or the other. We're like, look at God's sovereignty and go, it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter the action, it doesn't matter if I pray, it doesn't matter if I act. Or on the other side, we say, hey, my plan matters, it doesn't matter, God's going to use me, right? And it's both. Don't fall into one or two of those ditches. Both of those things are true, they're true in your life. Oliver Cromwell is an army general in the English army, said this. He was in battle, pertains to battle. He said, trust God and keep your powder dry. Trust God and keep your powder dry. Faith and action, both are important. And maybe those subjects about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, they're confusing for you. There is some mystery in both of those things. And I'm just going to give you a plug, a shameless plug today today. To go to institute. Right after church, there's food. Okay? Right after church, there is uh, child care. And today, just so happens, God's providence, your action. you got to get there. <laughs> They're talking about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and how all that works. And Weston will give you, and Robbie and uh, Brent will give you all the answers. So today, right after church, institute, we fall in those ditches. Perseverance right? Perseverance takes faith, and it takes action knowing that God has our back. Led with Chronicles of Narnia, Reepy We'll finish with him. Reepy You see him not only in the Chronicles of Narnia, but you see him in the next book, the the next novel. You see him in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if you remember that one. Some of you are going to go, I got to go watch this. I got to go read this. And you see him at the end of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you see him, um, his desire is to travel to the edge of the world, to enter into Aslan's country. And they're on the Dawn Treader, and they're going toward the edge of their, because there's a curse, and it needs to be lifted, and they don't think they're going to make it. They don't think they're going to persevere and make it all the way to where they need to make it. And Reepicheep Cheap is quiet, which he's usually not that quiet. And Lucy turns to him and says this, aren't you going to say anything to the crew leader, right? And Reepicheep says this to her, why should I say anything to your majesty? My own plans are made. While I can, I will sail east in the dawn Treader. When she fails me or if she fails me, I will paddle in my raft. And when the raft sinks, I will swim east with my four paws. And when I can't swim any longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world, I shall sink with my nose to Aslan's sunshine. You see his determination. You see his perseverance to the mission that God has given him. Ever since he was little, he didn't fully understand it. To go to the east, and now he does, he's determined. He's determined to fulfill his mission to get to Aslan's country. But here's the thing. He does arrive on Aslan's shore, near Aslan's country, and you know what he does? He puts down his sword, puts it down, and he sails over the wave to Aslan's country. Are you that determined with the mission of God that he has given us with the unfinished task? of the great commission to make disciples. Are you that centered on that task? Or perhaps, and there's grace and mercy in this, to get back up. Perhaps you've, as we said a few weeks ago, you've folded your hands of that. Maybe it's time to get back on mission. Maybe it's time to remember why God has left us here as his church to make disciples. Are you as determined are we as determined as a church to act and to trust God with the mission? It's interesting because in the last book, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle, when all the main characters are now going to Aslan's country, which represents heaven, who's there to greet them when they arrive? It's Ripichi. He's there to greet them. It's not how you start, C3. Can you finish, right? How do we finish? You can't finish believing that there's not going to be any opposition on the way. We live in a broken world with an enemy that does not want the gospel to go forth, the kingdom of God to move forward. There will be opposition. There will be trouble. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared to go through the ups and downs, the ridicules, the threats even, perhaps they come, the discouragements, the fears that come along with walking with Christ? So here's your takeaway this morning. The battle belongs to the Lord. Let him fight for you. Let me pray.